Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. Workers are human beings, and human beings have families and responsibilities outside of the office. That sounds pretty obvious, but it's something that sometimes gets forgotten. And we know workers are parents, and they may have elderly parents themselves, and those things might impact their schedules. But for many people, the responsibilities go way beyond. In fact, they're actually caregivers in a different way to family members that need a lot of support, maybe because they're going through a major illness or disability. And if you're a caregiver and a worker, that's going to impact your work life. It's going to create stress. Sometimes it's going to make you quit. And if you're an organization, you may say in the short term, it's an issue to have somebody who needs time off to do things. But ultimately, it is not in your best interest to have a stressed, unhappy person on staff who may ultimately quit. Because if you have a good worker, you want them to stick around. And if you're a compassionate organization, you want to support your workers regardless. So what do you do if you have an employee who is a caregiver? If you're an organization, what should you be thinking about? Well, I have a guest on today who has a lot of thoughts on this. His name is Jeff Moat. He's president of an organization called Pallium Canada, and he works with organizations and he works with governments to talk about what should be done about people who are trying to support people going through major life changes, illnesses. You know, how do we support the caregivers and how do we support the people going through the life events? He had some really practical things to think about in terms of the workforce. And also he just had some interesting thoughts because you know, on this program, we talk a lot about things like labor force change and artificial intelligence and uh, that side of the workforce. But the human side is an important side too. And I think we, we started to understand that a little bit more because of the pandemic, but we also tend to forget it. So had a really good talk with Jeff. Please stay with us to hear it. Well, how can organizations support employees who are also caregivers? To talk about that, I'm joined by Jeff Mote. He is president of Pallium Canada. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how are you, Linda? I am fine. Thanks so much for doing this. Well, thanks for having me. You know, it's a really important topic, and I don't think it's one that maybe gets enough attention. Um, first, tell me about your own career, how you ended up doing what you're doing, and then tell me yeah. about Pallium Canada. Sure. Yeah, happy to. Uh, so when I finished business school, I worked in the private sector for almost half of my career up to this point. I was uh, employed in financial services. I worked for two U.S. banks here in Canada. And it was around that time when my own mom was diagnosed with uh, late-stage breast cancer, a disease that she uh, ultimately succumbed to. And that was one of those life-defining moments for me. And while I wasn't my mom's primary caregiver, I supported her and my father, who was her primary caregiver, as best as I could. Um, but there, there were several things that I had learned from that experience. I, I experienced firsthand the heavy burden our caregivers carry. Uh, secondly, I witnessed what a bad death looks like. I watched someone close to me, uh, suffer needlessly. And then lastly, I, I experienced what it was like not to give myself the time and the permission to grieve, uh, as I was fearful at that point in my career to be asking for time off to deal with this loss as, as silly as that may sound now. 
all that was just a reality for me. So not long after that, Linda, uh, after much reflection, I decided to make a career transition uh, into healthcare. I started at Obtaining blood services, where I was there for about eight years before accepting a position at the Mental Health Commission of Canada to lead an initiative focused on creating more mentally healthy workplaces uh, through an initiative called Not Myself Today, a program that's still running to this day. And then after that, I transitioned into my current role as CEO of Pallium Canada. In Pallium Canada, um, mm. tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So Pallium Canada, a national registered charitable organization, we're based in Ottawa. Uh, we were founded some 24 years ago. We're focused on equipping healthcare providers and communities with the, the knowledge, the tools, the resources to provide earlier, more effective, and more compassionate palliative care. Uh, so what does this have to do with caregivers or compassionate workplaces? Uh, maybe more than most realize. Um, Palliative care is uh, is patient-centered, compassionate care. And that includes supports for families and specifically family caregivers. And where do we find many of these caregivers? Well, they're in the workplace. And over the years, Pallium has worked with subject matter expert teams to develop resources to support caregivers in their communities, which, as we know, of course, includes workplaces. Well, I think we we know that people have lives outside of work and the pandemic was probably part of this. I mean, we realize people are juggling or not even juggling, doing many things at the same time. Do you think that there's, well, first define caregivers when you say that. Is that somebody who's doing it full-time or part-time or? Yeah, well, uh, we find caregivers who are working full-time, part-time, casual work. We define a working caregiver as someone who provides unpaid care to a family member or a friend dealing with a serious illness. We also acknowledge that working caregivers may also be raising children while in this role, but but that's the general definition of, of what a working caregiver is. So it's somebody going through an intense period, right? It's not, as you say, not the usual, I've got to yes. pick up my kids and do the rest of this. Exactly. Years, right. Yeah. Exactly right. They're, they're usually supporting someone with a, with a serious illness, a life-threatening illness. Uh, and as we know, serious illnesses, life-threatening illnesses, uh, the trajectories are all different. You know, some last for weeks, months, and sometimes even years. I know you have some statistics on this, right? You did some work on this. Give us an idea of what kind of a burden this places on people who are working and providing care. Sure. Yeah. So let's start with some statistics. Uh, more than 6.1 million people, that's 35% of the Canadian workforce, provide unpaid informal care while working. Half of them are between the ages of 45 and 65, and they provide up to 30 hours per week of unpaid care. And one in four balance child rearing, caregiving, and paid work, if you can imagine that. Working caregivers are substantially more likely to experience an array of negative emotional, social, and health outcomes. 28% of caregivers found providing care to be stressful, no surprise there, and almost 20% of them indicated that their physical and emotional health suffered. Time spent caring for their loved ones reduces their opportunities for um, education and employment and, and you know, connecting with their family and friends and, and even maintaining their own well-being. I looked at those numbers and, of course, women do a lot of this caregiving. Yeah, yeah, they sure do, certainly. And, I mean, whether you look over the past, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 
let's face it, the economy has relied uh, increasingly so on the participation of women. And I think what's what's important uh, to note as well is that that women now constitute um, a significant majority of higher education enrollees, which is great. And the demand for skilled labor with, as we know, university level qualifications is really projected to only increase in the future. And employers are anticipated to depend more on women to fill challenging roles. However, caregiving obligations are likely to persist as a, as a barrier for women uh, seeking employment in certain sectors. And, and despite an increasing number of men taking on caregiving responsibilities, women still disproportionately bear the brunt of caregiving duties. Let's face it, they typically undertake um, the more challenging aspects of caregiving, right? The bathing, the toileting, the dressing in comparison to men. So even within, um, you know, a, a married household, say, where, where both partners are employed, women, and this was a, a stat out of the U.S., uh, but I, I think it's probably similar in Canada, there's about three times more likely than men to shoulder the additional mental burden of, of various tasks, right? The household duties and organizing schedules and overseeing, you know, various duties, you know, lunches and extracurricular activities and such. So, so that's, that's the added burden for women, for sure. And I have to think this is much like childcare at some point for some women, it gets to the point where they say, I can't do this and I'm going to have to take a break from this job. And with an aging workforce, I wonder how much we see of this happening with people giving care to parents and the like. Absolutely. I mean, let's face it. Um, let's look at this from a uh, the standpoint of of an employer, right? Um, you know, I think it's I think it's important, Linda, first to understand that the spectrum of caregiving really ranges across many different different demographics within an organization, doesn't it? Right. You know, workers of all ages and all levels of seniority are affected, right? And given the lack of support at work, many hide this growing burden of caregiving responsibilities, much like I did when I found myself in that position, right? So you start to struggle to balance those responsibilities of, of, a, of a job and caregiving and, and then you know, dealing with the unexpected, you know, and recurring obligations that come with caregiving, you know, that require that that mental and that physical and and even the financial resources to address them, right? So individual productivity starts to suffer, right? And that inflicts a cost to the employer. So uh, when the, you know, the emotional and the, the physical stress, as you, as you just mentioned, becomes too much, people's capacity for work becomes impaired, right? And and listen, some rein this in, you know, by reining in their ambitions, they they reduce their working hours, you know, but but some drop out of the workforce altogether. And, and eventually who pays that cost? The employers do, right? They lose talented, trained employees. So businesses are going to have to realize that, you know, if this remains ignored or they they remain indifferent to this, um, the price of that is going to be quite high. And most employers underestimate the hidden costs of caregiving to their businesses. And let's look at some of the figures, right? Um, uh, caregivers, 10% of them turn down job opportunities, 15% reduce their hours, 10% take a leave of absence, 6% quit their jobs, right? The turnover. And if we talk turnover costs, right? Um, you know, we talk turnover, it's 
frequency of turnover costs, right? So when a valuable worker uh, leaves, the employer must either recruit or retrain a replacement, right? Which is a costly undertaking. Uh, there's that loss of that institutional memory, that institutional knowledge, right? Uh, irrespective of when employees leave the workforce, they depart with this valuable knowledge, right? And that diminishes their their company's pool of talent, right? And and uh, and then there's the cost of temporarily hiring, right, or, or overtime, right? The cost incurred to to cover an absent caregiving employee can be significant. And then, of course, much like we've seen in in mental health in the workplace, you know, costs associated with productivity loss, absenteeism, presenteeism, right? Unexpected events, unexpected care events, right? These these don't follow normal trajectories, right? Uh, and and replacement costs, right? Uh, so yeah, that's that's the kind of things we're looking at. You know, I agree with you. And I think there's huge costs to the economy and to organizations. Unfortunately, yes. on the micro level, it's a lot of examples like you went through, right? We think this is going to not be good for my job, my career, all of that. Do you think it's getting better? Do you think that post-pandemic, there's better communication about this or or did that go with the uh, remote work? You know, is it getting better? Here's, here's what I can tell you. Um, I think generally speaking, Many organizations who we've spoken to, they're quite receptive to the idea of better supporting the caregivers among them, right? And I think a big reason why there's openness there, Linda, is because of all the great work that's been done to improve, um, you know, the mental health of employees at work, right? If you look at uh, the standards that have been been put into place, right? Psychological health and safety standards that exist now, uh, the amount of uh, resources that have been invested by employers to better support those who are dealing with a, a mental illness. I think that's paved the way for organizations to, to expand that, to begin thinking about how can we better improve our care cultures. Okay, so if you're an organization who does want to be um, say compassionate, but at least be aware of the fact that your workers have different needs. What can you do? Yeah. So maybe what I'll do is, why don't I start by describing a, a program okay. uh, one that we've worked on, um, and then I'll get into some other ideas in terms of what organizations can do. Um, this is near and dear to our hearts. And, you know, one of the things that we're really good at are developing evidence-based training and uh, professional development programs for the healthcare sector. And we've, you know, we're very used to dealing with and partnering with teams of subject matter experts in a field to create, um, you know, resources for healthcare providers. But we've done this as well to create the country's first comprehensive workplace initiative designed to prioritize uh, compassionate workplace culture as a business strategy to attract talent, to drive engagement and retention and improve happiness and satisfaction and positively affecting performance. So we appreciate that there are many organizations across the country that that lack the tools, the resources and expertise that that are necessary to effectively engage and support their employees, you know, that go through these types of, you know, uh, these life events of, of needing to care for someone. Um, so it's it's for this reason that we created a, an initiative called the Compassionate Workplace Campaign. Uh, this is an initiative that's focused on helping organizations create more compassionate workplaces and to provide simple to use resources that make it easy for any organization to become a leader on 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 really this important workplace challenge and better support 
those who are caregiving, but not just caregiving, grieving or themselves are dealing with a serious illness. So the goal of the initiative, Linda, is to create compassionate work environments where Canadians who are caregiving, grieving, or dealing with a serious illness receive the support they need. So it helps organizations with planning and implementation of the initiative, communication materials, activities to engage employees, um, practical tools and, and internal policies that enable conversations. Um, so it, it's beyond raising awareness, which is certainly an important component, but you know, it's about offering those practical turnkey activities and tools really focused on driving engagement on this topic and learning, because we all have a role to play in supporting the caregivers among us. And if any of your listening audience is interested in learning more about this initiative, compassionateworkplace.ca is the place to go, and we'll give you a lot more information about it. We can put that with our show notes. Um, let's talk about compassionate care leave, right? Sometimes people need to just be away for some period of time. Is that common? How does that work? Sure. So let's uh, there. Uh, so let's um, let's tuck into this a little bit. So the federal government does off, uh, offer um, EI caregiving benefits to provide uh, financial assistance while you're away from work to care for or support a critically ill or injured person or or someone needing end of life care. So people can apply and they could receive. Uh, I I believe it's fifty five percent of their earnings, but it's up to a maximum of. I think some $668 per week. So as a caregiver, you don't have to be related to or live with the person you care for or support, but you certainly have to be considered uh, to be either a family member or like a family member. And there's there's three types of uh, caregiving benefits, but you can receive the benefits during um, the 52 weeks following the day of the person uh, being certified by a medical doctor or nurse practitioner to be critically ill or injured or in need of end of life care. And you can take the weeks uh, of benefits within you know this time frame, either all at once or in separate periods. So so that policy certainly exists. Is it perfect? No. Are there things that we could do to make it better? Yes, for sure. But that's what's currently in place. And we should say this is in a Canadian context because we're doing this from Toronto. Um, we have a listening audience that spans the U.S. and other places, too. And there's different policies in place. I don't know if there's anything much better than what Canada's offering right now. I mean, that's yeah, as yeah. good as a guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, I can only comment in the in the you know on the Canadian context, but but here here are some other things that are going on around the world, um, and this goes to some of the the government policy actions that we'd like to see in place. You know, let's look at, for instance, flexible work legislation and promotion, and this is something that the Canadian Center for Caregiving Excellence has very well articulated in terms of policy actions. So I'm I'm really boring from them because I completely agree with their recommendations. Um, and we talk about an international context, Linda, um, some countries have moved toward guaranteeing the right to flexible work arrangements to help caregivers maintain their employment. So we know that flexible work um, legislation can reduce stress, um, can decrease the stigma uh, and discrimination and prevent premature workforce exit among employed caregivers. Uh, Belgium, France, Germany, and the Netherlands offer all employees the right to flexible work arrangements through legislation. Um, there are nonprofit and government-sponsored organizations, I think, that can also act as partners to promote caregiver-inclusive and supportive workplaces. Um, employers, employers for Carers in the United Kingdom, I know, is a nonprofit that helps member employers support and retain their employees. Um, in Australia, Carers and Employers is a project that uh, 
that incentivizes employers to meet a set of supportive uh, care and employer standards. So um, certainly there are there are some lessons to be learned uh, elsewhere around the world uh, that we, we should consider in the Canadian context. You know, we talked about this a little bit earlier when we talked about corporate programs and the like, but in general, do you think as a society, we are getting our minds around the idea that we're not just workers and people who have a family life somewhere else, but that we're putting it together and we'll maybe have more support for everyone in general? I, I'd like to think we're we're slowly making our way down that path, Linda. I, I still think there's a, you know, there's a lot of work still to be done, right? Um, you know, certainly from uh, an employer perspective, right? Uh, you know, I think we have to look at caregiving uh, through the lens, I think, of of talent management rather than exclusively as another potential expensive benefit, right? That we have yeah. to consider, right? Um, you know, and I think we have to, you know, look at things like how do we harmonize career and life trajectories, right? So, I mean, think of it this way, you know, is companies are really good at addressing life events like maternity leave, like sick leave, and in some cases, flexible work arrangements uh, you know, for child, child care needs, as an example. Um, but if you think about it, as employees progress through their life stages, their caregiving requirements evolve, don't they? So mid-career professionals, as an example, you know, may necessitate caregiver referral services, paid leave for caregiving assistance, or even on-site or near-site elder care options. Can you think of that? I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think of, you know, workplaces being near childcare facilities or even offering them on-site, imagine on-site or near-site elder care options. It's interesting, isn't it? That's a leap, yeah. Yeah, it is a leap, but, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'm sure 50 years ago, if you talked to, to people about, you know, childcare facilities being, you know, in or near a place of work, they, they would have laughed at it, right? But I think the essence lies in proactively accommodating foreseeable life journeys within the framework of of people's career trajectories in an organization. So, so listen, I think there's there's a lot of work to do. Again, I, I think the work that we've done uh, to address um, people in the workplace with mental health problems and the supports that are now there, it, it shows that, you know, we are trying to improve the compassionate quotient of our workplace organizations. But um, I think it's so important, especially coming out of the pandemic, that we, we pay more attention to our working caregivers um, because they are suffering in silence. They are not getting the supports largely uh, from their employers. And, and we all have roles to play, Linda, whether we're the employer, or the person's manager, or a fellow colleague. Uh, we all can do more to better support them. Well, let's hope it happens. Jeff, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks, Linda. Jeff Mote is the president of Pallium Canada. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Jeff and about the things he talked about, there's some links in our show notes. Please take a look at those. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on X, which used to be Twitter, at at RelentlessEco. Now, if you did like this podcast about the future of work or the present of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help people to find us and will help us to keep these conversations going. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. 
The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.